time. Give as much time as he can. Thank you, Mark. All right. Well, uh, good morning. It's still morning, right? Yes. Yeah, good to have you guys here with us. Uh, I, I want to start off by saying that um, this is a safe place, you know, because a lot of times when we talk about um, issues that revolve around race and culture, people are afraid to express themselves. You know, they're afraid that they're going to offend someone. But I, I, I would love for this to be a safe place where we can express ourselves the way we really feel and not the quote-unquote politically correct responses. Because I feel that the way that we uh, gain understanding and reach a place where we can move forward uh, better than we have been in the past is by being honest with where we are right now. Can you say amen, somebody? All right, all right, all right. So, um, again, my name is uh, Pastor Darrell Geddes. I've been pastoring at Christ Church International on 13th and Lake, uh, just a little east of the old Sears building, which is now called the Midtown Exchange. I've been pastoring there for 20 years. Uh, we're about a mile away from where George Floyd uh, was murdered on 38th and Chicago Avenue. And uh, in our neighborhood, we have the largest concentration of Somalis outside of Somalia. We have the largest concentration of Native Americans outside of uh, the reservation and uh, there are all different types of people and uh, people with different languages and cultures that live in our community which which makes it uh, a very interesting and challenging uh, community to minister in uh, very interesting a few years ago I, I came from an all african-american church in Chicago I lived on the south side of Chicago in Inglewood south side for those of you all from Chicago uh, 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 from the south side of Chicago was an all-black uh, church. It was very easy. Uh, I, gr I grew up black. I, I am black. Uh, <laughs> I grew up black. Uh, I'm an African-American. And so uh, uh, doing church in that community where I came from was a lot easier than it is doing church in the community that I'm in now. Uh, everybody's story was my story in Chicago. Everybody's experience was my experience uh, when I lived in Chicago. You know, everything that had happened to me had happened to most of the people that were a part of my congregation. So it was easy for me to relate. Uh, where I am now, the setting that I find myself in now is very diverse. And everybody's story is not my story. You know, everybody's experience is not my experience. You know, uh, everybody's language is not my language. Everybody's hue and color is not my color. Everybody is so different. And in uh, cultures and situations like that, it becomes uh, a little more difficult. Uh, not difficult, but it's a little more challenging uh, to effectively minister uh, in situations like that. So let me just acquaint you all with a few statistics as we get started here. And sorry for those of you all that are sitting over here that may not be able to see. Uh, the combined population of minorities uh, would become a majority in the 21st century. I taught at North Central uh, from 2000, when did I teach at North Central? Let me, 1991 to uh, 2000 for nine years. And I helped to develop uh, the urban ministry studies at North Central. And one of the things I challenged my students to do who were primarily uh, white students who had a burden to minister in uh, uh, cities 
that were diverse, one of the things I challenged them uh, to, to realize is that by, according to, to, to statistics, by 20, uh, uh, 2050, that uh, the United States of America would be 50% uh, people of color. Let me just read the statistic. It said, in 1991, when I joined the faculty at NCBC to develop the Urban Ministries curriculum, I became aware that in the 21st century, racial and ethnic groups in the U.S. would outnumber whites for the first time. And that's from a magazine called the, uh, <clears throat> the that's actually from Time magazine. It was an article called Beyond uh, the Melting Point. So, so uh, that was one of the things that I was trying to prepare them for. Uh, as they were going into full-time ministry, that we're not going into the same ministry positions that our fathers and our forefathers and our grandfathers went in. We're going into more diverse settings and we need to develop some cultural skills that help us to flow in those settings. Say amen, somebody. Amen. That, that just makes me feel better. So uh, if I ask you to say it a few times, uh, please don't... Uh, uh, Okay, diversity is expanding. Now, this is something that is really exciting to me. It, it, it reeks of opportunity, uh, but diversity is expanding into suburban and rural areas. For years, most of the influx of immigrant populations came to the cities. Uh, for years, uh, the, the diversity was uh, limited to the city context for the most part. And rural and suburban areas uh, remain for the most part monocultural. Uh, but now that's changing. It's changing dramatically uh, in Minnesota and, and across the world. Uh, it, it's not just the cities that are diverse, uh, but many of our rural areas, many of our suburban areas are becoming more and more diverse and whether we like it or not, we've got to adapt uh, to what is happening around us. Um, uh, at, these are just some of the states, Alaska, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Nevada, and New Jersey will be majority minority by 2030. All right. How many years is that from now? Eight years. Let me read that again. Alaska, Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, Nevada, and New Jersey will be majority minority by 2030. Uh, so diversity is something at this point that cannot be stopped. It's, it's moving forward and we need to prepare ourselves for it. Let me give you this quote right here. It says, we are in the midst of an epic transition. The United States uh, throughout all of its history was an amalgam of European nationalities and is now becoming a microcosm of the world, um, said Kleinberg. Uh, he goes on to suggest that the changing demographic in America is inevitable and cannot be stopped. Uh, for years, our immigration was primarily U European. Uh, you know, one of the reasons, let me, let me just, and, and you all help me. I, I, can I be honest? One of the reasons we are so passionate about what's happening in Ukraine is because in Ukraine, our blonde, brunette individuals who look like the most of America. Oh, I just had to say that. I've been wanting to say that for a long time. 
so, so we have to we have to begin and get ready to deal with what is happening around. Here's a question, and I really want you guys to respond to this question. What are some possible reactions to the browning of America? What are some possible reactions? Not your reactions, but what are some possible reactions to the browning of America? How, how will people react as America continues to become more and more brown or more reflective of the world instead of uh, just Europe? Please help me out. Yeah. Powerless, okay, some people will feel powerless. Say a little bit more about that. What do you mean by, by powerless? Who's going to feel powerless? Well, obviously white people mm -hmm. um, will feel powerless, um, not having control. Mm -hmm. We know that um, power comes with control, and if you can control a certain situation or a certain color or ethnic or race, then you, you have that power. You hold the key. Mm -hmm. Okay. Make an exception or not make an exception. Mm -hmm. So that so the more brown it becomes, then it becomes where is the power? Where does the power lie? Mm -hmm. Good. Powerlessness. Powerlessness. Again, no right or wrong answers. I'm just asking for what are uh, some of the possible reactions as we uh, see the browning of America continue to happen. Yeah, fear. Say more about that. Expand on that. Fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, general culture, this mm -hmm. idea that well, we're losing our, our nation. Okay. Okay. So coupled with fear is hostility. Okay, fear, hostility. Okay. Can somebody write these down over there for me? If, if I could get a helper, because I can't be in two places at once. Hallelujah. Uh-huh. It's bonkers. Okay. Mm -hmm. which drives a lot of things. So like Excellent. going with stereotypes and stigmas and all kinds of things that attach itself to the fear mm -hmm. that uh, doesn't even matter if it's white people right. that live here. It's any eth ethnic, ethnical group that's lived here sure. their whole life. Like they feel like the, the America that they've known mm -hmm. is now no longer. That's so good. It's true. It's not. That's good. Right, right. That's excellent. Excellent. Powerlessness, fear. And then, John, you said something about hostility. hostility. Let, let me make him let, piggyback on that. What, what do you mean by hostility? So white culture makes the rules okay. of America. And what we've seen recently um, in, in our communities and, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and uh, city council meetings, school board meetings, mm -hmm. 
all of these things are reactions to um, the culture shift mm-hmm. and uh, the fear of of not of losing those that that power or that privilege. Yeah. And and so hostility erupts from that. Okay. And, uh, okay. That's that's one reaction. Sure. The, the what, don't, don't don't give it all right now, John. Don't get. You can tell he's a pastor. You know. <laughs> he was about to tell me I'm about to close. <laughs> sure. Good, good, good. Compassion or empathy? Thank you, thank you. Because there there are two sides to the coin. There, there's two possibilities and ways that people can react. There can be that fear. There can be that hostility. But there also can be. Compassion and empathy uh, for new groups that are coming in. Yes, and then we'll. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to say on a positive. Uh huh. Kind of fun. You know. Kind of fun. Yeah. Meet all these different people. I live. I grew up in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Out east in the D.C. area, it's much more integrated. Mm-hmm. You get to have friends from different cultures. Mm-hmm. And hunt them down. Yes. People are out and they're free. So yeah. I love that. It's 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 fun. It's an opportunity uh, for us to to yes. Go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Good. Acceptance. Okay. Sure. And so in this day and age, what we've come out of. Mm-hmm. And I just got so excited. All right. Because I thought, Yeah, okay. So, um, Black people time. on the Iron Range. <laughs> My God. What is the world coming to? <laughs> but, but it's interesting as you look at some of the, the uh, uh, rural communities. I'm trying to remember the name of, of one of the communities that now has this huge... Somali presence. Um, where? Northfield and um, Therbo. Yeah. And, and well, anyway, someone else had a hand up. And so, yes. Um, I think that a, a possible reaction could also be unity. Okay. Um, especially with us being a church. Come on. You know, we can preach that message that we're all God's children and people are more accepting of it because now they're seeing it. Mm. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Kevin? I, I was just thinking hope. Hope, you know, okay. Next yes, yes. Yeah, hope is, is, is fantastic. You know, I grew up in a segregated south side of Chicago. Uh, I knew that there was a certain street that I didn't go beyond without fear and trepidation. I, I knew. And, and when I would take the bus on 79th Street, so for those for anybody who's from Chicago, you know what I'm talking about. Once I got to Cicero, I knew I had to change my attitude and my posture uh, because I was now moving into forbidden territory yeah, or Lincoln Park or, or, or any of those places. And, and so I grew up in a segregated Chicago. You know, I, I can remember as a kid, I, I loved to ride my bike and I would like ride my bike on the lakefront. And, and you could tell by looking at me, even though I am African-American, I can blend into all groups. 
You know, I, I tell people I'm Heinz 57. You know, I, there's no way of really knowing who I really am. And I would ride my bike in the African-American community and I'd be okay because I knew how I, I knew how our community acted. But then I would go into the uh, Latino community and they accepted me, too. You know, and I, I knew a few words, you know, so I could I could flow on through there. You know, and, and, and so this is a, 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 an exciting time and a great opportunity. I, I love what our sister said here uh, for the church to stand up and be the church. You know, and in the midst of all of the fear, you know, the hostility, um, the, the, the trying to uh, change the uh, immigration policy, we as the church can stand up and be accepting and embracing of people that are different from ourselves. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or, or uncertainty. Okay. I don't want to offend somebody that's not like me, so I draw back. Because, Good. Because I've been burned. Yeah. I'm trying to reach out in love, and I say something that's not the right thing, mm-hmm. and being told off mm-hmm. because I obviously don't understand, and I that's don't good. understand. Yeah. We're, we're not prepared for the conversation. We've not been taught, we've not been challenged uh, to go beyond what we're accustomed to, what we're familiar with, and and reach out and understand and embrace uh, someone that's different from ourselves. We're not challenged to do that. Uh, We're we're challenged to stay in our comfort zone. That's what we're challenged to do. You know, segregated neighborhoods helped you stay in your comfort zone. I knew not to go beyond 79th and Cicero as a kid because that was the, 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 the breaking point, you know. And if you went beyond there, there could be trouble, you know. Uh, and so I understood that. So uh, our mindset has to be that we have to change uh, our thinking and we have to prepare ourselves as best we possibly can uh, to function in a multicultural, uh, multiracial multi-ethnic, multi-economic world. Uh, that's the world we're, we're living in right now. And, and we've got to do the best that we possibly can uh, to prepare ourselves. And we will make mistakes. L- let me tell you of a great mistake I made once. Now I'm teaching at North Central. I'm teaching at North Central and I'm taking students down to Chicago uh, for what, what we called an urban ministry seminar. And we would just flood them for a week with all these different experiences of how to do ministry in a city context. And every day I would take them to a different ethnic restaurant to eat. So not only were they getting the, the, the uh, ideas of how to do ministry, but they were uh, eating different foods. We went to a Polish restaurant, never had so many potato dishes in all of my life. But it was wonderful. And, and, and so we went to a church on the north side, near north side, that was meeting on the top floor of a, uh, one of the uh, skyscrapers or, or uh, buildings. And they were meeting on the top floor, the penthouse. They were meeting on the penthouse. And we uh, sat down and, and, and listened to uh, this, uh, the pastor share his story and his vision. Uh, His name was Aaron Free. I didn't recognize that Free was Jewish. That's a Jewish name. 
he's sharing with my students and with myself. And uh, after we finished, we, we sat and dialogued with him for about an hour about how he was doing ministry on the near north side of Chicago. And then he asked the question in front of all of my students. He says, where are you going when you leave here? So this was a, a big day for me because it was my opportunity to take them to Maxwell Street. Anybody been from Chicago? Maxwell Street is where you get the Polishes. Now you see, I'm, I'm refraining from using the word. I did not say we're going to Maxwell Street in front of my good friend Aaron Free. I said, we're going to Jewtown. And he tried to catch it. He says, he says, now where did you say you were going there? Or he was trying to, you know, and, and I said it again with great enthusiasm. I said, we're going to Jewtown. I said, I'm going to get some Jewtown Polishes. You know, I'm going to get my orange pop and we're going to have a good time. And then he said it one more time. He said, Daryl, where are you taking the students when you leave here? And it clicked. I said, Aaron, I am so sorry. I said, I just referred to Maxwell Street, 12th Street on the south side of Chicago as Jewtown. I apologize. I fell all over myself apologize. And Aaron... He, he, thank God that he was very open and, and he received my apology and, and he allowed me to grovel for just a little bit, but he understood. And it was a great teaching moment for our students. What a teaching moment. Now I put my foot in my mouth. I'm the urban ministry specialist. I'm supposed to have it all together. And I'm referring to Maxwell street as Jewtown. Uh, and, but, but it was a great learning experience for our students uh, to be aware of where they are at all times and to, to try to react in ways that, are, uh, that, that aren't offensive, that, that aren't offensive. So, so what I want to do today, and I, I wish we had more time, but I want to talk about um, four things that we can do that will help us to minister in the multicultural society that we are becoming. And, and the first thing is, well, that's, that's so slow. <laughs> community reflection. And, and what I mean by community reflection is I mean doing demographics. One of the great things, I, I remember when I was leaving the south side of Chicago, I, I was thinking about pioneering a church in the suburb, suburbs of Chicago. And my demographic studies, this was before computers, you couldn't just uh, get online and say, I want to go to Maywood, Illinois, because that's where I wanted to plant a church. I'm in Maywood, Illinois, uh, give me the demographics for Maywood, you know, uh, where's the African-American population, what's the, um, uh, uh, the income level, all of the different things that you could find on demographic. I literally had to travel to Maywood. I had to go to City Hall, I had to ask for the demographics, and then I had to go through them to ascertain what was going on in Maywood, Illinois at that particular time. Now you can just get online and get the demographics of any city. We can get the demographics of the Iron Range right now. You know, we can determine what's going on in, in St. Cloud, what's going on in Duluth, uh, you know, what the numbers are. Uh, and so I think one of the first things that we need to, to do is we need to understand the communities that we, we live in. Right. We need to understand the community. I'm keenly aware that the segregated nature of our churches is mirroring what is demonstrated in our broader society. Uh, we're segregated because our churches 
are oftentimes segregated. Now, every church won't lend itself to being diverse. My church lends itself to being diverse because of where I'm located. I am located on 13th and Lake. You know, I can throw a rock in any direction and find a different ethnicity. And I want that to be reflected in who we are. That's why we changed our name to Christ Church International, because of where we're located. And we're determined that we're going to reach the community that we're planted in and be a reflection of that community with all of its diversity. Uh, we want to have Somalis, Native Americans, Hispanics, uh, African Americans. Uh, we want to have uptowners, downtowners, all of the individuals that consider that uh, their community. We want to have them reflected in our church, in our church. And, and though ideally I believe the churches should be a reflection of the greater uh, multitude spoken of in Revelation 7, uh, or at least modeled after the church of Antioch in Acts 11, uh, churches for the most part are a reflection of the community that they find themselves in. All right. uh, now, that fact does not exempt us from determining, uh, the, uh, for determining the makeup and the nature of the community we're, we're pastoring. Uh, I've pastored a number of churches uh, in the, how many years? number of years, 40 years uh, that I've been doing uh, ministry. Uh, first church that I worked at was, uh, uh, the first church that I started myself was a Solid Rock in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our theme was Come Stand on the Solid Rock. Uh, we planted our church uh, just a few miles from the capital in an African-American community. Uh, it was difficult for that church to become diverse because we were locked on all sides by the community just being African-American. Uh, and, and so that experience, for that experience, it was okay for my church to be predominantly black because we were in a black community. And our church was an expression of the community uh, that we were founded. Same thing happened when we pastored in Chicago. We pastored in Chicago for seven years. And we pastored in Inglewood, not too far from uh, where my wife grew up, uh, the tough streets of Inglewood, you know. Uh, and our church was predominantly black, again, because the neighborhood for miles around Southside Worship Center was a black church. But Christ Church International is different. Now, it would be a sin for me to only reach out to black folk, to African Americans. Now, that's where I'm most comfortable. Let me be perfectly honest. I get intimidated. Can I be honest? I get intimidated when I come to these big meetings. And I'm one of the few faces of color here. I look around and I say, oh, my God, we are so, everybody say it with me, white. And this is what, I love the Assemblies of God. I've been in the Assemblies of God uh, since I Graduated from North Central in 1981. I love the assembly. I love what they have to offer. But I would love to see more people of color reflected in a meeting like this. Now, if I get intimidated in a meeting like this, imagine somebody coming in for the first time who doesn't know anybody. You know, 
Yeah, who doesn't see anyone that they know. You know, this may be their first and their last time. This may be. Yeah, or doesn't see anyone that looks like them, you know, in the leadership. Uh, uh, thank God for Apple Valley's worship team. I, I, I count people of color wherever I go. It's just a natural reaction for me. And thank God for their worship team. You know, black guy on the piano, Latino on the drums. I don't know who the two brothers were on the, uh, on the guitars. But, but they, they weren't Anglo. And then we had an Anglo sister on one mic, an Anglo guy on another mic, and then another black brother with a, with a stocking cap on the other mic. That helped me. I, I, I could, if I looked forward and not to the left or to the right, there was, there was diversity there. There was diversity there. But we got a ways to go. And I don't say those things to condemn where we are or, or, or to say that we're not trying. I say those things because I think that those become benchmarks for us to improve uh, where we are. I was. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Well. There were. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And thank you. And that's something my wife and I were sitting. My wife and I were sitting as the uh, as the uh, credential, the the credentials of the, the uh, license and the. Um, yeah, we're, we're coming out. My wife said, my God, there's a lot of women. You know, I said, this is wonderful. And, and there were a lot of women of color and, and men of color. So it's changing. It's changing. But but what I'm trying to get us to see is how difficult it is. For a person of color coming into a situation that has not changed yet, but is on its way. And our leadership is totally behind uh, making change and, and, and creating an environment that's accepting and inviting. But it takes time for that to happen. It takes time and intentionality. It takes intentionality on the part of people that are in the highest places of leadership within our movement, within the Assemblies of God in uh, the state of Minnesota to make that thing become a reality. All right. All right. Y'all got me preaching and I don't want to preach here. So so uh, community reflection. It's important that we do the demographics. It's important that we do the demographics, that we understand who's in our community. You know, a lot of times we don't know who's in our community because we've never taken the time to find out. We've never taken the time to find out. Uh, we're, we're comfortable where we're comfortable. Uh, now, I, I, I pastor a diverse church, but on Sunday mornings, you should see what happens. And I, I chide my people about this all the time. At the end of the service, uh, all of the Africans gather together in the foyer and they're chummed up. Uh, our white constituents go to the Connecting Point Cafe and sit down at a table and have coffee and a donut our young people never make it out of the sanctuary. They're in the sanctuary, the young adults, and, and they're a little bit more diverse. And then the teenagers, the most diverse group within our, they're everywhere and they are comfortable in the, the, in the diversity that, it, that has become. So, so it's interesting that, that what, what takes place. So doing demographics, a second thing uh, that will help us. Let me watch my time. 
is intentionality. Intentionality. Intentionality includes making sure those who are in places of high visibility within the ministry reflect the community we are trying to reach. Uh, now, I love visiting churches everywhere I go. Uh, when I go on vacation, I visit churches because I just love visiting. I love the layout of buildings and I love looking at the people that are in positions of leadership. And one of the interesting things about even churches that are diverse is that a lot of times what ends up happening is that even in congregations where there's a lot of diversity, the leadership of those congregations is still predominantly white. So there's not a reflection of the community that's being reached in the highest places of leadership. I love what our district has done. Uh, I am not an official presbyter, but uh, our pastor, Pastor uh, Mark Dean, has brought me on uh, at the district office. I, I meet with them every Wednesday in something called the church health team. And it's because he wants to diversify what's happening. And he knows that he cannot or, or the, uh, it, it won't be easy for that to happen if he doesn't have people uh, that are in representation at the highest levels of leadership. Uh, so we need to be intentional. I, I love the fact that we just uh, elected a, um, a non-geographic presbyter uh, that's a presbyter of color. You know, again, those are important points for people of color who are in the minority when they step into a situation where the uh, the membership or the audience is predominantly white. They want to see a reflection of themselves in what's going on. All right. Everybody all right? Oh, my, my African friend, uh, Dr. Emmanuel O'Connell, he, he says, he says, are you following me? So let me just ask you, are you following me? Okay. So intentionality is extremely important, extremely important. Um, give you an example from our situation. Now, in our situation, we're diverse, uh, but we, we soon found out on our board that we were not diverse. And our diversity was not a problem with color. Our diversity was a problem with age. I had a bunch of old heads on my board. <laughs> Wise people, don't, don't misunderstand, I'm not speaking disparagingly of them, but they were all 65 or older on my board. And the younger part of our congregation, the younger constituents, were not represented on that board. And so we had to figure out what were we going to do to make sure that the voice of the next generation had a voice at the highest level of leadership within our congregation. Well, you know what we did? We fast-tracked some people who were a part of our church already who were people that were respected within the congregation. We fast-tracked them through the membership process so that the next time we had a vote, we asked them to allow their name to stand, and now we have a youth movement on our board. I've got two, two. I've got an uh, African, a guy by the name of Sheon O'Connor, and then I've got uh, a white young lady by the name of Sarah Kiskala, uh, that have just joined our board. I just had one leave. His name was Niyi Oleinka. He was a Nigerian. He just left the board. 
I called him Deacon Knee, and now I've got two young folk out of six board members that are under 30 years of age. So I'm looking forward to them speaking to us about the direction that we need to take as a congregation. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But, but intentionality is important. Uh, in our worship team, uh, when I first took over the church, uh, uh, we were very determined that what was reflected in our worship experience was a reflection of the community we were trying to reach. And, and we were blessed. Uh, we had Peter Shue, uh, who teaches at North Central. Uh, he was our first worship pastor. When he left, we were able to hire Markel McGee, uh, and he was our worship pastor. And we, we've always had diversity represented in our worship team. So, so on any given Sunday morning, that there's a diversity of individuals up there that are a reflection uh, of what's going on in the community around us. So intentionality, thinking intentionally about how we can uh, diversify our congregation. And please feel free to stop me uh, if you have a question or anything like that. Yes. Um, third thing, because we are running out of time. Can I ask one question? You can. Yes. So as a, I'm a white pastor. Uh-huh. Okay. And different ethnicities, and I, I look at that and I go, I don't want to engage in tokenism. Right. But I also don't want to just not think through it properly. Sure. Of how do we create that diversity? And so how, how do you balance that act of, I, I don't want to just open up spots just because mm -hmm. they are, mm -hmm. but I also want to not ever neglect sure. looking at that. How, yeah. can I, how can I, as a, as a white pastor, that's a great question. It's a great question. And it's a question that, that's being asked across the country in our churches now because our churches are becoming more diverse. And we don't want to do tokenism. We don't want to just grab anybody because everybody shouldn't be in a position of leadership. You need sharp folk. You need folk that can represent you well. Find those people within that people group that are a part of your church and begin to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Court them about, because many of them really don't want to be on the board. Uh, they don't want to be because they, they feel like it might be a place of contention. Uh, but help them to understand that they'll be helping you and helping the church to live out its, its true nature if they would become a part of what you're doing. So find the right people. We didn't rush it. We did fast track it. You know, but we didn't we didn't just pick any and uh, anybody. We, we picked individuals that we knew had what it what it would take uh, to help us to grow into who we wanted to be. I hope that helps. Does that help? Yeah, I think, too. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you modeled for us even in this mm -hmm. workshop the first step mm -hmm. of like there is no stupid question. There is no like this place is safe. We're not going to, we're going to engage in conversations because if we don't, we're worse. Yeah. You know, and so even if that's the spot on your leadership team with those people that, I mean, let's, mm -hmm. let's engage in the conversations as difficult as they are. Yeah. Can I make a say? Sure. 
I think one of the biggest issues mm -hmm. is being able to relax around each other. Mm -hmm. um, we always got this thoughts in our mind that we perceive about mm -hmm. things. And I think if we, if we could just relax with each other and just treat each other the same. You know, you are who you are. I am who I am. Acknowledge that. Get past that. Yeah. And just like you would do anything else if it, if it was all white. You you don't have no perception. If it's mm -hmm. all black, hey, we don't have no perception. Just do the same with each other, mm -hmm. and and it wouldn't be such an issue. But it's the hard, hardest part is the perception. Yeah. That you yeah. When you first see people, mm -hmm. and if you can just get past that perception and just treat it the same, yeah. it's as as the pastor was saying. You don't want no tokenism, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, if, if he don't qualify, he don't qualify. Mm -hmm. If she don't qualify, she don't qualify. But they should be able to understand that that you you are fair about it. You are true about it. You're not just doing it because of race, creed, or color, but you're doing it because you're fair. Mm -hmm. And when we can relax with each other and feel that way with each other, yeah. then I think yeah. we'll make a difference. John? Can I piggyback off of that? Yes. Um, Mr. Will says, treat each other same. But the truth is, we are. Mm -hmm. And it's only, we, we're not able to relax around each other when we see each other as being different. Mm. The only, what's the difference between me and this brother? Mm. Our got skin color. <laughs> <laughs> you got, you got <laughs> nice and beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no difference between me and him. Yeah. Because he rolled up on us a minute ago. There's no difference. I, I came over to integrate. There you yeah, go. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh -huh. Humanly, there's no difference between me and him. Right. Culturally, we have to be informed. Right. But humanly, there's no difference. Mm -hmm. And we see each other as the same. Mm -hmm. We can relax around each other. Now, culturally, we need to be informed with some things. And today you have been. Mm -hmm. It's okay to call us African American. It's okay to call us black. Yep, yep. Don't use no other name. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and those are two things that helps you understand culturally yeah. so we have to be informed culturally but mm -hmm. humanly we are the same we are exactly the same mm -hmm. all people are smart all people can be dangerous all people can be whatever all people can be and when we see each other that way then we can relax yeah amen amen let me yes mm -hmm. and one of the other things that piggybacks on that mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. at what someone says, and I'm going to give them grace. Amen. Right? That's Amen. excellent. Amen. Extending it grace. It is. It is. Because we get, all of us get our backs up. You know. Right, because we all have our filters mm -hmm. from our culture, from mm -hmm. our upbringing, mm -hmm. from what our parents mm -hmm. told us, from our experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to lay those down, but it's, it's part of that intentionality. It's good. Is I'm not going to take offense at what somebody says. I'm going to give them grace. And assume they weren't saying it to hurt me. Right. Or, but it's hard. It's hard. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> My brother, yeah. Could you, this is probably really stupid. Mm. No, no, nothing stupid. Nothing stupid here. Maybe uninformed. Okay, so Alamishner, I work in Europe. Mm -hmm. So I understand what it's like being white and like mm -hmm. being in a white culture. Mm -hmm. But can you? I hear I hear all the terms when I come back. Mm -hmm. Equality. I 
hear all the time, mm-hmm. diversify, mm-hmm. hear all the time. But what what does that actually mean? Mm-hmm. What are we getting? What do we need? Mm-hmm. I hear politically all this jargon, and they're just throwing terms out all mm-hmm. the time, and they're not even defining anything. Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from our brothers over here at the table, I'm hearing we want to be treated the same. Mm-hmm. We want you to just talk, <coughs> stop acting mm-hmm. like there's a problem, like yeah. or is that just simplify it? Get all the yeah. political nonsense out of the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a great question, but it's a huge question. Mm-hmm. It's it's huge, Be, because on one level, uh, there's there's the need to get past some things so that we can get to know each other, uh, but on the other level, there's institutional things that have been put in place that keep people of color down. I think that's one of the things that people of color wrestle with, you know, because we want to embrace and love, but we also want you to, for lack of a better term, please take your knee off my neck. You know, so there, there are some institutional things that need to be addressed as well because it's the institutional things, it's institutional uh, uh, racism, things that are, are caught up in the fabric of who we are that reinforce positions and attitudes toward people that are different from ourselves. And so it's, 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 it's not an easy place to navigate. It really isn't. It really isn't. And, and it's, it's at so many different levels. But the level we're working at right now is a level of, of, of us just learning to build relationships across cultures. You know, that other thing is huge. And it's going to take time, you know. But, but Right now, what we want to do as believers in Christ is, is um, and, and again, uh, I, I want to see your color, but I want to respect who you are and love you just as you would like to be loved. And, and that kind of leads me because I uh, to my next point, because I'm out of time. All right. A relationship building. You know, uh, the development of relationships, specifically the development of relationships that transcend Ethnic and economic barriers are essential for building a healthy, multi-ethnic church. We have to be intentional about building relationships that transcends our comfort. My, my greatest comfort is being around other African Americans who have had the same uh, historical and cultural experience that I've had all my life. Uh, but if I want my church to reflect the diversity of my community, I've got to build relationships outside of where I'm most comfortable. One of the things that I've been really intentional because I love the Somali community and they are all around us and I want to see them saved. And so how can I do that? I had to challenge my people because uh, uh, the majority of the Somali community is Islamic and there's tension between West Africans that I have a lot of in my congregation and Islam, not necessarily against Somalia. And so uh, we had to find a bridge for ourselves. Lots of tension, lots of deep ingrained stuff. And I was challenging, uh, that I'm going to tell on myself again. I like telling on myself because I think I make a great illustration because I mess up all the time. I was telling my people that they needed to, to be salt and light 
to the Somali community that was living around us. And I was challenging me, you know, because they were out there fighting about parking spots and just all types of crazy stuff. You know, on Sunday mornings, you know, the pastor, you need to go out there and talk to them. And I'm challenging them. I said, look, let's be salt and light. We want to win them for Christ. And a Somali man moved next door to me in Brooklyn Park, just to, to the north, Ibrahim. Uh, then a Somali guy moved just to the south of me, next door on the other side. His name is Abdullah. Then uh, the Chinese family that lived across the street from me, their house burned down. They refurbished it. They were going to move back in, but they sold it. And another Somali family moved in, Ahmed. And then directly behind me, the other white family moved out. And an Egyptian family moved in that was also uh, uh, Islamic. And his name was uh, Iman. So I'm surrounded, you know, on all four sides. And I said, baby, you know, it might be time for us to move. <laughs> that was my response. And the Lord smote me in that moment. He said, you hypocrite. He said, you telling your people to be open and embrace the Somali community that fights with them for parking on Sunday morning. And here, as soon as you get a little pressure, you ready to sell and leave. I said, Lord, forgive me. Now I pray for them. Every time I roll in my driveway, I'm praying for them. During Ramadan this year, they invited me. I hated that I had to be out of town. I was in um, Dallas for some meetings that I had to be at, but they invited me to one of their Ramadan uh, meetings where they come off at the end of the day. They have a big celebration and everybody comes. And unfortunately, I was unable to be there. But I'm going to win them. I'm not going nowhere. And, and I'm going to win them for the Lord because I, I need to be intentional. Across the street during the, the rioting, uh, they were targeting, we found out from the police, because the police came and told us that they were targeting um, black businesses and black churches. And our church sits right on the corner of 13th and Lake, uh, where a lot of the rioting was taking place. And uh, you know who saved our bacon? My Somali neighbors across the street. Uh, four guys were up on our roof saying that they were trying to get a better vantage point of the... Uh, the social unrest that was taking place. It was my Somali neighbor and my, my live-in caretaker that caught him and got him down off of the roof. My Somali neighbor, we became friends. Uh, I spent the night in the church. We didn't board our building up, and so we had to spend the night. My caretaker was staying up nights on end. I said, I'm going to come in, spend the night a couple of nights so that you can get some rest. And uh, my Somali neighbor, it was real hot. It was one of those really hot nights where they were back up and down between the third precinct and the uh, fifth precinct. You know, they were they had burned one down. They were trying to burn the other one down. And uh, my Somali neighbor says, look, when I shine my flashlight, you come running. Says, when you shine your flashlight, I'll come running. We became the best of friends as a result of that. Uh, when we start giving away food after uh, the riots. We gave away food for three consecutive months for June, uh, July and August. We gave 40 pounds of food in boxes out uh, for thousands of people. We gave, uh, And uh, he came over, brought his iman into our building, which they usually don't come into your building, uh, introduced him to me. You know, we have become fast friends and I'm praying for his salvation. It, you know, we can't 
uh, stand off on the outside and condemn what we really don't know and understand. So, so it's important that we build relationships, that we get uncomfortable. It's all right to be uncomfortable every once in a while. It's all right for me to be uncomfortable at district council. It's all right. I, I didn't leave. I wanted to run. I, literally, I wanted to run out of the building on Thursday. I said, oh, it's just too many, too many. Uh, but I, I had to settle myself. I'm sorry. I, I'm being honest. I'm trying to be as honest as I can so that you all can really understand what, 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 what needs to happen. And, but, but I've got to be intentional about building relationships. I can't back off. You got to be my friend. You got to come meet me and walk down to Midtown uh, Cafe and eat lunch with me. You, you've got to understand my experience. I've got to hear your history. You've got to tell me your history. You know, I, that's the way we break this thing. We break it relationship by relationship by relationship by building relationships and being intentional uh, about that. Um, let me, what, what time am I done, Mark? Six more minutes. Uh, cultural sensitivity. Boy, I had some growing to do in that area. You know, uh, we have probably the largest percentage of our West Africans are Nigerian. I am not Nigerian. I am an African-American whose father was late for everything, which made me extremely punctual. Uh, I am 15 minutes early for anything that you invite me to. I hate being late. Hate being late. Well, Nigerians, I didn't know that when I first met them. They, you know, set a, I went, the first thing that I got invited to was uh, a, a graduation party. And they invited me to the graduation party that started at 4 o'clock. My wife and I arrived at 4, 50, uh, 3.45. No one was there. We sat down thinking, you know, everybody will start arriving by four. At six o'clock, they started. But that was cultural shock for me. At first, I was angry. You know, I wanted to find the guy who invited me and, you know, bless him out a little bit, just a little bit. But, but what I needed to understand was that for West Africans, it's not the timing. It's the event that's most important. And as long as you show up, that's why their parties go from four to ten, you know. And so it's the, the important thing was just me showing up. Well, I, 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 get, I got a little wisdom, you know. Now I don't go. I'm never on time. I always call the person who's hosting. I said, look, how late can I be, you know, without uh, being distracted? So, so gaining cultural sensitivity is extremely important you know, in, in building relationships. And then leadership, we kind of talked about that. That was the last thing that I was going to suggest is that um, I've noticed that even when uh, the congregation is diverse across ethnic, cultural, and generational lines, the leadership often reflects the dominant culture. To me, this dichotomy conveys the message, you can worship with me, fellowship with me, and deposit your tithe and offering here, but you cannot lead me. Uh, so we need to be conscious, again, of, of lifting people that are reflective of your community into places of leadership. And let me just stop and use whatever time we have left for any questions you might have. Yes. I actually just wanted to share something. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, I had an experience at camp. Uh -huh. 
Thank you. Anybody else? Hallelujah. Well, let's pray. Let's pray. 